Um, all right, I'm starting a new series today uh, that I'm calling Vital, looking at women in the kingdom of God. This is a series that I've been wanting to do for close to a year now and, and finally feel like the timing is good. And, and, uh, and so now what, what I want to do is I, I, we're going to be in this for about three weeks. And I want to look at um, God's uh, plan and design for women that we, that we see in Scripture. And uh, I, my goal and my hope is that this series would be a, just a tremendous encouragement and, and just uplifting to women in the room, but also to men in the room. Um, and, and that we would all come away from it just feeling legitimately lifted up and encouraged. This is, I understand the, uh, the minesweeper game I'm playing with this series, uh, and, and that when you, when you address a, um, like, <laughs> like this series, I love it when God calls me to preach series that make me uncomfortable, because I know if they're make, it's making me uncomfortable, it might be making you uncomfortable. And, and so what I, what I hope, my hope for this series is that um, that you hear my heart and my intent and the word of God through this series, and that on the occasion, which you guys know me, so it's bound to happen, on the occasion that my mouth gets in the way of my heart, that you hear my heart, that you're forgiving to me. Uh, because you guys know how it works. Like whenever there's a, a, um, an uncomfortable issue that's talked about in our society, even people with the very best of intentions can, their words can be can be perceived in ways that they never meant for them to be perceived. So, uh, I, I hope that you'll be gracious with me as I as I walk through this little minefield that God has me walking through for the next three weeks. Um, it's no secret that um, throughout the history of the church, we're we're you know about two thousand years old now. Throughout the history of the church. The church has a, a bit of a spotty record when it comes to either the treatment of or attitudes towards women. Um, now, that's not to say that it's been a negative thing because, I mean, starting in the New Testament, the birth of the church, you see women elevated in society in ways that they had never been elevated before. Suddenly they are their gifts are acknowledged, their uh, voice is acknowledged, they are, they're holding position in the world of the church, and you know, things like that, and it is, it's a really beautiful lifting up of women that takes place. We, we hear things from Paul like, like there's, there's now no male or female, no, um, you know, uh, Jew or, or barbarian, there's no, there's no slave or free that we're all on the same level at the foot of the cross, right? And so there is this elevation of women that happens. But then, like, you, if, if you go beyond the, the New Testament into some of the writings of those early church fathers, guys like uh, that were leaders in the church like Origen and Tertullian and Augustine and, and Saint, uh, Thomas Aquinas and some of those guys that we look at their writings as very inspirational and just these are God-honoring men with that, that were, had gospel intents in their heart and oftentimes martyred for their faith, just really great men of God, and, and, and their writings are amazing. And then peppered in those writings, occasionally there are little phrases that come out that rock you back on your heels going, I can't believe that guy just said that, oftentimes about women. 
where um, you know you might have a very well-meaning, Jesus-loving church father that says that basically attributes all potential sin to women, um, or or relegates the role of women to just reproductive duties or you know, you know whatever. And 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 in our two, you know. 21st century sensibilities, reading that stuff, again, it kind of takes our breath away and we go, wow, that didn't seem very enlightened or, or whatever. And, and, and so, we, so, so it is this kind of mixed bag of history with the church. At, at different points, uh, you know, even in modern history, some might view church as kind of an old boys club or, or whatever, and, and uh, women are kind of, women have to know their place, right? And... Um, and so what I want to do this morning is, like, let's, let's pretend for a second that the last 2,000 years of church history didn't take place, and let's just get to the heart of what God created. Can we just look at that for a second? Let's just get to the heart of, of what God has created and his t- intent in that creation, and, and, and let's kind of start, let's start right there. Um, because I think God has a really, really, I know God has a really beautiful design in all of this that, that we have missed because we're, we live in this tricky space. We live in this very transition, transitional space between two worlds, between thousands of years of a world, not just church, but a world, a whole, whole world that has been governed by patriarchy, which is, which is this system that the world has lived in where women are, are looked at as objects or tools for reproduction or property of their husbands or fathers. Um, again, relegated to their place in society, hushed up. What, that's the patriarchy that has existed for thousands of years. Thousands, right? And... And we now, I would say for the last hundred years, are living in this transition space between a world dominated with a patriarchal system into whatever it is we're transitioning to. I'll call it a, 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 a society of mutuality. Somebody else will probably call it something better than that, but for now I'll just call it that. Where we're transitioning from patriarchal world to a, a more mutual world. And we're in that transition space. And so some of us are still dealing with the leftover attitudes and ideas of that patriarchal system. And we can definitely look at the world around us and go, hey, we are more enlightened. There are good things happening. I mean, especially, you know, lately in the last few years in in the media, there's a lot of talk with the Me Too movement. And regardless of your politics or whatever, I honestly thank God for the Me Too movement. As a father of four daughters who will be in the workplace soon, or already in the workplace, I thank God that things are being cleaned up and that hopefully it'll be a, a safer, healthier workplace for them to join into. I, I, I thank God for that. I really do. I love my daughters. I don't want them abused and, and uh, treated um, as objects in the place where they go to earn their living. That's not, that's not what I want for my daughters, right? And so I, I, I thank God that that... that we're waking up to, in some ways to the way things have been and going, okay, this, this has gone on long enough. It's time for things to change in this way, right? That's a good and healthy thing that we can celebrate. 
So we live in this transition space, and, and what do we do with that? So I, I want to look right now at the story that God gave us that kind of helps us understand how everything began, and it's in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, if you want to turn over in your Bibles, if you got your Bible, like if you're brand new to church and you brought that Bible that, that you know, you just had in a drawer and you're like, I guess because I'm supposed to bring this to church and, and you don't know your way around that Bible, that's cool. You're, it's a good day to be here. Page 1. Page 1. Just turn over there, page 1. All right. So we're in Genesis chapter 1. Now, let, let me, I'm going to kind of briefly give a synopsis of some of the things that are going on, and then we're going to hit certain verses in particular. But basically, Genesis 1 is a story of, of, of creation. <coughs> it's that, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> it's that story that God uh, gives us that helps us understand creation and who he is in that and, 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 and how he sets himself apart from all the other so-called deities in the world. It's very unique. It's very distinctive, that sort of thing. And in this story, he, he outlines this kind of creation that happened in, in these six days, and, and different things are created on different days. And, and on the sixth day, uh, humans are created, right? And, and so that's kind of where I want to pick up the story here. Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, right? So I want to point out this, and maybe we're a more enlightened bunch, and I don't need to point this out, but I just want to say it out loud anyway, because throughout history, on and off, it has been suggested that only men were created in the image of God, not women, since women were created second, which we'll get to that part of the story in just a little bit, right? So there's a suggestion that comes up occasionally that only men were created in the image of God, and that is absolutely not what the Bible teaches. You look at the Word of God this morning with me, and it says right there, in the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. We are both, we are all created all of humanity created in God's image. And that's a good thing, and that's worth celebrating. Amen? Amen. So that's good. But you look at also what was happening in that passage up there where, where God's like, oh, we're going to create, create humans in our image and that we're gonna, uh, so that they can rule over the birds and over the livestock and the wild animals and all the creatures and all that kind of stuff. Like his design for his, this humanity that he created, male and female, in his image, is that they would rule together over the world that he created. That he sets us in a special position over his creation, not to dominate and destroy it, but to care for it. We are to tend God's creation. And so we, 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 our job is to protect and help elevate and all of this kind of stuff, all of God's creation. And as, you know, as we know, we've we, humanity has not done such a great job of that over the centuries, but, but it is our job as people created in God's image to care for his creation together, to rule over his creation together, not, not men ruling over creation and women just dealing with the fallout, but created in his likeness, in his image, together to rule over his creation. All right, now we're going to jump to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, it does this weird thing. I don't know if you've ever noticed it as you read it, but it circles back. It retells the story of 
God creating, creating humans, it kind of circles back to day six and gives more details about that, the creative activity of that day and what happened and so-called, you know, that, that sort of thing. It just kind of expands on the story. So it says this in chapter two, start with verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. We're going to come back to that phrase in just a little bit. So, Adam, so here's the deal. Adam's alone, and, and, and then it says, Now the Lord, Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds and the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Um, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. So you have this situation where... God goes through his creative acts. And at the end of each of those days in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, he like creates something on day 1. He's like, man, this is good. Day 2, does his creative work. This is good. Day 3, this is good. On and on. He gets to day 6, and he creates humanity, and he says, this is very good. Very good, right? But then we move on to that next verse, verse 20, and it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so so, so actually, back up, back up one slide to the top of there. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. So, so he, he looks at, he's created all of humanity or all of creation, and he's created the man, and then it's the first time he says, this is not good. Everything was good, and now this is not good. Why? Because man's alone. And Adam's picking up on it too. Like Adam, God gave job, this job to Adam to like see all these animals and name them and all that kind of stuff, and Adam's noticing like there's a, there's a boy duck and there's a girl duck and there's a he bear and there's a she bear and and there, you know all, all and he's like there's there's no there's no she Adam there's no there's no she me where where's my she right and and God has recognized this too it's not good for for man to be alone verse twenty again Genesis two verse twenty but for Adam no suitable suitable helper was found so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping. He took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, I want to focus for a second on this idea of this, that there was no suitable helper. For some of you that are old school, and maybe you still like to read the King James Version, the King James translation of it is that there was no help meet. God needed to create a help meet for Adam, which is kind of a weird term for us, but the meet it kind of denotes the idea of a match, right? And, uh, and so what has happened as, as Judaism and Christianity has grown up in this, war, this very patriarchal world that we live in, and, and as those ancient texts, those Hebrew texts began to be translated into other languages so that we could understand them, right? It didn't originate with us. It came from a whole different civilization, and so as it's been translated into English and other languages, that sometimes there's not an exact translation for words, or sometimes things just get, like it's really hard. I, I do not envy the job of translators because it, it is really difficult to translate, a, in this case, maybe a 3,500-year-old text, possibly more, and translate that and not read into it your own times. It's really, I, I don't envy those guys that job. It's a difficult, difficult job that they have. And what's happened as this word has been preached and preached and, uh, you know, taught over and over again is that we, off, you've probably heard it taught this way that 
when God created a helper for man, that helper was kind of, um, uh, I, I lost my word again. I, I lost it last service too. Sub, sub, uh, subordinate, thank you. Subordinate to man in creation. That Adam needed a helper, and so God gave him a helper. And so women by nature are subordinate to him, to, to men in creation. Now, maybe you haven't heard that. Maybe you have. I don't know. Maybe you, you've just kind of grown up in this patriarchal world where you kind of sense that or something like that. But I want to break down what's actually happening in this passage. So, so that word that we translate into helper is the Hebrew word ezer. Everybody say ezer. Ezer. Ezer is a word that shows up 21 times in the Old Testament. 21 times. Two of those times are in this passage that we're reading here where it's, it's referring to the woman that God created, right? Uh, three of those times it is uh, uh, referred to the kind of help when Israel reached out to surrounding nations for help in battle. So they were at battle with one nation. This happened one time in Israel's history where they were at battle with one group and they reached out to Egypt to support them in this, which is kind of weird since they were in slavery to Egypt, but they reached out to Egypt for support in battle, and Egypt comes along as the strong, stronger army, stronger force to help um, um, Israel in this battle. And then the other 16 times that the word shows up in the Old Testament, it's reference to God being the helper of Israel. God is our help. God is our easer, right? So it, when, when we look at this word easer as it's used throughout Scripture, it's not there is not a hint of subordination in that word. In fact, there's a different Hebrew word for a subordinate type of helper. It is a strong help, a matching help, right? And this word also in this passage has with it this other word, konegdo. So it's ezer konegdo. Everybody say ezer konegdo. So the konegdo is where we get that phrase suitable or the help meet, the match. It's, a, it, it's a easier combined with that word connecto. It means something like a helper of the same nature. It's a strong, uh, strong help. It's, there's a sameness. There's a matching quality to it, either in species or in, um, um, you know, just in its very being or whatever, but it's a, it's a suitable, it's a matching help, it, it, able to meet Adam, where he is. Not a subordination, not a plumber's assistant, hand me that wrench type of thing, but a, a strong help, a strong help. So what I want to do for just a second is look at, like, what does it mean then for us to be created in God's image? And so what happens is, well, this state, let's put up this phrase up here, that you were distinctly created. Ladies, I want you to hear this in the room. You were distinctly created in God's image, to reflect his strength, his intelligence, his beauty, and his selfless love. And there, you could add more. You could add more things to that list, but I'm just going to focus on those four this morning. I want you to hear that, ladies in the room. Guys, I want you to hear this too, that you were distinctly created in God's image to reflect his strength, his intelligence, his beauty, and his selfless love. All of us, every single one of us, created in God's image to reflect his strength. There are, I talk to so many of you oftentimes that you are crippled with this feeling of weakness inside of you. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit, the living God living inside of you, and you are unable to tap into that power and into that strength. 
And I want to encourage you this morning to begin to tap into that whatever weakness you feel within you does not come from God. You were created in the image of the most high, most powerful God. And so learn how to tap into that strength. Learn how to lean into him and find a strength in you that does not come inherently from you, but comes from the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Learn to find that. And we're also called as his image bearers to reflect his intelligence. We serve an intelligent God, which is great. And I hope your experience at Living Hope has been one where you found that you do not have to click your brain off when you come in the door here to believe in God. That God is an intelligent God and he created us to reflect his intelligence and to be intelligent. And he has elevated our intelligence above the rest of creation in really amazing and special ways. I heard this uh, preacher on, on TV the other day and, and and I'm sure he's a good guy and a really well-meaning guy, but, but I wanted to reach to the screen and punch him in the neck. But he said, he made this statement. He said, if the Bible tells me that two plus two equals five, then two plus two equals five. And I know what he was trying to say. I, was knowing, I know he was trying to say, like, I believe the Bible and I believe it's true and all that kind of stuff. But do not turn your brain off to believe in God because God does not turn his brain off for you. He is intelligent and he is... Put intelligence inside of you, and you can believe in certain empirical truths. Two plus two will always be four. And I think Common Core has done some things, but I think it might estimate to five in your kid's homework or something like that, but I don't know. But anyway, but, but it will generally, generally speaking, be four. All right. He's also created us to reflect his beauty. We, as Liz was talking about when she was praying earlier, we serve a beautiful God who enjoys beauty. He is an artist. He is an artist. You know, that's one of the things that separates us from the rest of creation. No other creation really has art. I mean, they do some beautiful things. I saw a documentary about a fish that did perfect circles in the sand once. That was kind of cool, right? <laughs> Like, I have this dog that I love. It's the best dog we've ever had. Ellie is, she is the best dog. I love her so much. And, and I will cry buckets of tears when that dog dies. But she is no artist. I, 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 the only art she leaves is what I have to clean up off the floor, right? <laughs> She's no artist. Like, like, God has given us that, that ability to not only appreciate art, but to create art. Why? Because God appreciates beauty God creates beauty, and that's reflected in us. I love that. And he, he calls us to, to image his selfless love, too, and that's so perfectly demonstrated by Jesus. So perfect. I mean, Jesus calls the whole world to a new standard of love. He completely redefines what love looks like. And that's what we do as his followers. Hopefully, that's what we're doing. This, this, this thing of us being created in God's image is a really powerful and beautiful thing. And when you get a hold of that idea of who you are, whose image you bear in you and, and reflect to the rest of the world, that's not just a theological point to know. It's a calling to live out. It's a calling to be God's image bearer. I want to jump over to um, um, what happens next there in chapter 2. So woman is created, and then it says this, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and 
She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I want to sit on that last statement for just a second. Do you understand? I've read that and glossed over it my whole life. Do you understand the implications of the fact that this, this couple, that they were naked and completely unashamed? You understand how much of how much mental garbage has to not exist in your head to live in that state. Like like women, for you, I would imagine that for you to exist in a world where you could just be naked and unashamed with the rest of humanity, you would have to know like the unashamed part, the totally comfortable part. You would have to know that as I'm walking around. The rest of, with the rest of humanity, no one is objectifying me. No one. No one has violent intentions towards me. Like, it, it is a mutuality that only existed in God's perfect original creation. That level, like, it's not a one-upmanship. It's not a battle for control. It's Naked and unashamed, like you're, does it get any more fair than naked and unashamed, right? Some of you are feeling ashamed just thinking about naked and unashamed right now. That's how jacked up our heads are, right? So that, that's, that's God's creation. Beautiful, distinctive, yes, distinctive. Strong men and women ruling the world together distinctively created. There are distinctions about women that are beautiful. There are distinctions about men that are beautiful. It's all part of God's plan. Different, but not subordinate. Naked and unashamed. It's just this beautiful, beautiful thing that God created. And then sin comes into the world. We jump into chapter 3. Sin comes into the world. And, and to make a long, long story shorter, like there was this, you know, God had set up this tree in the garden and said, hey, I, you guys can eat from any tree. Don't eat from that tree. It was like the one rule he gave him. And, and Satan comes in the form of a snake, tempts Eve to eat the fruit. Eve eats the fruit. And, and then Adam eats the fruit. And so they've sinned. And immediately they realize, oh my gosh, we're naked. Like, like all that purity, all that mutuality, like it was, it was almost impossible now because they, there was shame and there was sin and there was their attitudes and, and the way they thought about each other was, had shifted. It, it was all different now. So they, they cover themselves up and they run from God and God catches up with them and calls them out on their sin. And then he, he kind of doles out these little, these, I say little, he doles out these pretty significant punishments to, to, this, to the serpent and then to, to Eve and then to Adam. And I want to read to you what he says to Eve here in this, in this part. He says um, in Genesis 3, verse 16, to the woman he said, I'll make your pains and childbearing very severe. And with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There's this, that last phrase, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That, that phrase of your desire being for your husband does not mean like, oh, I just love my husband, and I just desire him so much. That's not what it's saying. It's, it's this, you will desire to be your husband. You will desire to have what he has. You'll be always reaching 
or the control, but he will rule over you. So before sin in the world, it's this beautiful, naked and unashamed mutuality. Everybody's on level ground. Everybody's, everybody's working together to rule the world. And after sin enters the world, we see the beginning of this patriarchal world that we continue to live in and that we're weirdly in transition in. You know, it's just this weird space that we're now in. What I want to encourage you to do this morning is this last point. I want you to choose to live in the harmony that God intended. Choose to live in the harmony that God intended. You guys know that when we pray that prayer often, when we close out our services, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's not just us us praying for God to send his kingdom to earth and for his will to be done. It's this commitment that we're going to partner with him in bringing about his kingdom here. The good works that we do right here and right now are kingdom-building works. We are in the process of hopefully trying to transform this world around us to something that resembles God. God's intention for humanity, his kingdom, his kingdom. And part of that work, I, I, would, I would suggest to you this morning, is let's live in the harmony that God originally intended. Let's not wait for God to come back for all those scores to be settled and everything to be set right. But instead, let's choose as followers of Jesus Christ, kingdom builders, kingdom citizens right here, right now. Let's choose to live in the harmony that God intended. Yes, we still live in a, in a, in a sort of patriarchal world, but here's what we can do. We can choose to live as in that mutuality, that beautiful, like that, that, that beauty that God so beautifully intended. Like what if we what if we stopped looking each other at each other combatively? What if we stopped looking at each other in terms of power, in terms of control, in terms of who's got more and who's got less, in terms of whose place is where and whose place is where? And what if we started began to really look at each other in the beautiful mutual harmony that God intended. I think there's some genuine kingdom-building activity for us to do there. We were all created in God's image. We were all created to rule this world together, to partner with God in building up his kingdom. It's no, it's no uh, coincidence that shortly after the church was birthed that Paul gives us those words that, that there is therefore now no I'm mixing up verses, that there is no male or female. Why? Because God does not view us as male and female. He just simply views us as his children. There's no power distinction. We're all the children of God. What if your marriages began to reflect that? What would that take? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like, what needs to change in me for me to live in, like, true, like that, that, pure, wholesome, innocent mutuality with my wife? What, what, what needs a change in my heart for that to happen? Are there ways that I have, have not been doing that well? Ladies, what would it mean for you to change your thinking about that? What if you began to see yourself not as someone who's always going to be subordinate to men in the world, but you began to see yourself as the strong woman that God created you to be? Like, let's be who God created us to be. Amen? Let's do that. Each of these weeks, um, you know, we're blessed in this church to have so many women that lead really well. 
in this church. And I, I want to highlight three of them uh, throughout, this, throughout this series and give them the last word. And so I've I invited Janine Teeson, our, our children's minister, to come and just encourage us and close out the service for us. So welcome, Janine. Thank you. So pastor asked me to kind of share what it's like to be a Christian leader in, um, in today's church. And um, as I've been thinking about this, just a little bit of background, um, it's important for you to know that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I didn't grow up learning about biblical truths or untruths, um, however you want to see. I learned what it meant to be a woman based on my society and my culture. And I was a child of the 80s. Welcome. Yeah, 80s. I was taught that um, to be a woman, I could do anything a man could do. I could, I needed to grab power. I needed to be assertive, aggressive, um, that I needed to be strong, not to let a man put me in my place, tell me what I could or could not do. Um, and I was naturally a leader. Um, some people called me a bossy bully, but I think I was just a natural leader as a youngin, and um, that didn't go very well for me. Um, I knew that I was strong. I knew I had giftingness, um, but I didn't know how to utilize that because it just wasn't working out. So when I became a Christian um, later on in high school and then um, really started following the Lord in my early 20s, um, things were really rocky because I, when I became a Christian, was going to be a pastor, planned on leaving, leading a revival, something. Like I was going to do great things for the kingdom because I knew that I had those gifts. I, that was my desire. I wanted to do great things. I didn't want to be meek, gentle, subordinate. And so it caused a lot of problems within my ministries, within my marriage. Um, actually, several times my husband, who was a youth pastor for a long time, was almost fired because of me and my not understanding how the Lord had made me. And so as I grew, I learned that God doesn't make mistakes, first of all. God did create me to be a strong Ezer woman. What that looks like for me, though, means that I have the choice to be loving in that power, in that servant, or in that leadership, or I can assert my authority like I did when I was younger. In my marriage, I was told that my husband should do the finances. He was the spiritual leader. He needed to make all these decisions. If you've met my husband, he loves the Lord, but he's quiet, and he has a quiet strength to him. I pay all our bills. I make most of the decisions with, you know, his guidance. And if you were to look at our household, you would say, oh, Janine's in control. Well, yeah, but it, there's mutuality, as Pastor was talking about. Brian and I know our roles. We know what our giftings are. We know what our strengths are. And we are learning to encourage each other in those. I could not be the leader that I am today if my husband was not the leader that he was. He has to be able to support and encourage me. So men in the room, I, like Jeff, encourage you to recognize the giftings of your wife, of your, the women in your life, and allow them to be what God has called you. We are in this transition where we, the society is telling us 
something different about who we need to be. I encourage you to not listen to what society says. Listen to God's word. God does not make mistakes. He has created you. He has gifted you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And whatever that looks like in your life, God is going to use that to build his kingdom. Society right now is telling us lots of different things about males and females and who we are and what we can and can't do. I encourage you that regardless of where society goes, look to God's word. Because God's word is never going to change. God's word is always going to be true. He loves you. He created you in his image. Let's live in harmony with one one another. Like Pastor said, that is the most important thing. Figure out your giftings and what God is calling you to do and lead in that way. Go towards the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much for being with us today and just allowing us the opportunity to have hard discussions. Um, Father, thank you for giving us your word as the guiding point for these discussions. Our societies, our culture, our viewpoints, they always change, Lord. People come and go, but your word never changes. And so I pray, Father, that that will always be the the foundation, the cornerstone for how we view ourselves and how we view each other. Let us live in harmony, Lord. Let us love one another well. Let us be intelligent, um, selfless, um, and all of the incredible attributes that you have. I thank you, Lord, for this time, and I just ask blessings upon each and every person as they head into their day and to the rest of their week. It's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.